Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good afternoon. My name is Joan, and I'm your uh, speaker for this meeting. Our meeting topic is old-timers. Our purpose in sharing is to discuss our experience, strength, and hope in recovery. We focus on the SA 12-step approach to recovery. We don't discuss other 12-step programs, philosophies, therapies, or occupations. We avoid mentioning specific titles or authors of publications other than SA or AA conference-approved literature. We also avoid using abusive language or sexually explicit descriptions. Our emphasis here is on recovery, the solution, using the steps in our daily lives. Okay, please remember that this meeting is being taped. And um, if you would like to um, share, my suggestion is that you move over to these seats over here while the speaker is still speaking. Let's say the person who is sharing is still sharing so that... You know, when um, the person who is sharing finishes, you know, you could just step up to the microphone and we won't lose any time. Okay. I would just like to share a bit of my own experience. Um, I I, uh, found SA through a magazine, actually. Uh, I am a religious, and the uh, magazine title happened to be Sisters Today. And um, and I was intrigued by this article because for years I was suffering with this disease and nothing I could do, no prayers, no holy hours, no retreats, nothing, absolutely nothing could help me. And uh, I was just in misery. So I always prayed for the truth. Lord, please tell me, show me the way. To, uh, give me some truth about this uh, uh, situation. And so uh, I read this article, and I said, this is it. This is it. This is what I have to do. And the author of the article, of course, lived less than, let's say, 15 minutes away from where I lived. So I called him up, and I said, can I, can, can I please speak with you? I'd like to make an appointment. And sure enough, I went there, and um, uh, I don't know if you know Steve O., but he was the author of the article, and uh, he introduced me to Eleanor from White Plains, who is also a religious and in the program. And she helped me to go to my first essay meeting in New York City. So that was in the St. Francis Church, and I would go on a Saturday. It was led by a woman. However, the people who came to the meeting were really, really essay essayers. I mean, and... Um, I was very uncomfortable at my first meetings because um, they would more or less describe their exploits instead of, you know, who could best who, instead of, you know, talking about recovery, talking about, you know, positive things. But anyway, it was it was a it was a, a an experience for me. And then when that meeting uh, was discontinued, I. Um, I started to go to the Montclair meeting in New Jersey because that's actually where I live in New Jersey. So over the years, I found out that the number of SA meetings in New Jersey has doubled, tripled, and quadrupled. We have SA meetings almost every every day of every week and different times, let's say early in the morning, during lunchtime, during the evening. So um, uh, it really... And I'd also like to add that this is my third experience in being on the committee of the uh, conference in 1997, no, 98. 98 was our first venture, and I was on that committee. And I would say that we had some bad luck because the hotel decided to, well, it was sold in the middle of our maybe months before the, the meeting. But however... We were able to uh, relocate in a different hotel, so that wasn't so bad. The second one was much better. That was in 2003, and this is by far the best one of all. 
I've gone to the meetings, highly organized. Um, many talented people were on our committee. And um, uh, I just feel that essay has been improving in quality, not only in numbers, but in quality of their meetings. And I say that very sincerely. So um, this is what I have to share. And, and I invite anyone who wants to, to come up here and share their version of, let's say, the years that you've been in, um, uh, in SA. And of course, I'm a much better person before I came to um, to SA, I was a teacher, and I couldn't even stand in front of, let's say, a group of parents and tell them what about the, what I was teaching and uh, the directives of my uh, uh, department. And now, look at me, I'm leading a group, and I don't have, a, and I'm speaking spontaneously. I mean, I would never have been able to do this if it were not for SA. Essay gave me this support. It gave me a sense of self, and it improved my self-esteem because when I felt loved, I was able to love in return, and this made all the difference. So I invite anyone who would like to take take over next, please. Hi, I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic, and. Um, I was going to try to organize an old-timer meeting. I needed help, and then all of a sudden I said, gee, I'll look at this form, and there it was. Um, I had a strange experience. Um, weeks ago, I was reading uh, the 10th step in the AA book, reading exactly what I had read time and again and time and again, and there was this paragraph that I had seen time and again, about what happens in AA about alcohol, that the sanity will return, that we stop avoiding temptation, that we've, um, we react to things like a hot flame, and many of you know the area in the AA book. And I decided to, I think there were about ten items I wrote them down. I decided to say, hey, has it worked with me? I've been sober in AA 24 years. Has it been true? And it was absolutely true. And then I went down and did the same thing with the word lust. And I said, God, I go to restaurants, even though there are bars in the restaurants, and I don't make a big deal out of it, but boy, this SA stuff, you know, I, I wear it like a straitjacket. I have rituals upon rituals. And, um, it kind of scared me. And then I decided to break down each one of them into my forms of acting out, of masturbation, of, um, uh, you know, abusive sex to my wife, promiscuity, gay lifestyle, all that stuff. And I realized when I itemized them, most of those things were there in recovery, just like in AA. But then I noticed a few that are not there yet. And um, especially about my preoccupation of avoiding temptation. I am just preoccupied. And um, I've been sober 23 years, and I'm not going to act out today if my ass falls off. I can't guarantee you tomorrow, but not today. I've done my contract. Well, I'm okay today. But God, do I drive my wife nuts. You know, with I screen the movies, I screen this, I screen that. You know, I screen our bedroom habits, I screen, you name it, I screen it. I still take a, sh get out of a shower and have a towel around me and put my underwear underneath my towel. And something ain't right. I feel it. I just know something's not right. And yet a part of me 
is, is saying, oh, you know, but this is how you did it then. And where the old timer thing comes in is it's a little harder to talk about this with a group of people who I believe desperately need to avoid temptation. You know, they need to throw their TV out of the house or their computer or whatever. Um, but it, it kind of puts me in a bag and I'm just throwing this out to help people. If this tends to come up for anyone who talks about it this weekend, come up to me, you know, what are you doing? Are, are you loosening up a bit? Um, is, um, you know, what, I'm just still confused on this subject, you know, sober over 23 years and I, I think it's time for me to, um, examine it at least and then, you know, what will be will be. But I, uh, thanks for letting me share. Hello, my name is Bill. I'm a sexaholic. I came to him and I said, no, I'm not, I'm not an old-timer. The last convention I was at around these parts was 1993 in Flushing, New York. I, I remember there, and, and I was three, four months sober, sober then. Uh, and then I went back to England and I had uh, about another 14 months. It was 18 months and all. I'm not making excuses, but I got another serious illness, secondary depression. And then I, I, I relapsed. But uh, I can keep coming back, you know. Uh, and uh, when I came to this meeting, with a friend said he was coming. But I did look at it earlier, because I, I do value the, the old-timers, you know, people that have stayed sober in this fellowship, because uh, it's only through them that I'm sober today, you know. Well, uh, I went to the Adelphi uh, in Maryland in July, and now I'm back here and that. So that's why I'm here, is to, I'm only four months now, but I, I do feel this time, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've got a hold of something which I hadn't before, you know. I got a peace and, and, and that. Uh, and that's why I've come here to, to recharge the battery and keep it going, you know, and that. But uh, you mentioned, I'm not cross-talking, but I can remember going to another fellowship in Montclair in 83, 84. Uh, and then, and yes, in 1993, there was uh, one meeting in, in Montclair, and I remember asking my brother, I was visiting him and his his wife and five children. And I remember asking him to drop me to that meeting. Uh, mind you, as far as he knew, he was I was going to AA. <laughs> if he said, oh, I was going to a sexaholic anonymous meeting, I think I'd have been out the door, you know, for sure. But uh, there you are. But it's good to be here today. And I was like Harvey. I'd seen him in London and Hind Street some years ago. But the memory, as I say, it's nice to meet these people again that are sober and staying sober, which I hope to do. Thank you. My name's Paul and I'm a sexaholic. And uh, I've been coming to these uh, conventions for many years and uh, uh, for the longest time I didn't dare even consider myself uh, an old an old-timer uh, because I wasn't uh, staying sober and I'm just grateful that uh, I stuck around for 18 years and been sober for 18 or 19 months now continuously. And I must say that um, what started happening was uh, all of a sudden about five or six years ago, seven years ago, people in my local group started staying sober. And it became intolerable to be non-sober after a while. You know, it became intolerable to be the guy who's been around the longest and has the least amount of sobriety. And so, uh, you know, June of, uh, 96, I got, I, you know, I acted out for the last time. Uh, and then, uh, when I went to the conference in July of last year, I left with a sponsor and, um, and worked with him for over a year. 
and started seeing results. Um, some of them were hard results, like I guess being one sober long enough and two working with somebody who was listening to me ramble on a day-to-day basis on the phone, uh, he was able to say, there's something wrong with you beyond just the addiction, you know, and finally got me into a doctor's office and into a therapist's office to deal with a major depression, which I'd been suffering for years, but I couldn't identify it because I had sedation. I had my own medication, and now I wasn't taking it anymore. So all these benefits, and and now it's like, you know, that's all in place. But what I really liked is after I sat down and did my fifth step with him, I started experiencing something that I had read in the big book for many years, you know, right after doing the fifth step, it says, once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. You know, and then there'll be more promises later in the book, too, you know. But I started having those experiences. I remember shortly after doing my fifth step with him earlier this year, um, uh, last year now, um, I remember uh, being uh, in the congregation, watching my pastor, and... uh, being very critical because I could do the job a hell of a lot better than he could. You know, it was Easter and I thought for sure that, you know, I, but I realized that I was PO'd because I'm not the one up there and I'm qualified to be up there, but that's not my position and my role, you know. And I just couldn't wait until it to be over so I could go out. My mother was visiting and I could badmouth him. Guess what? It hit me all of a sudden that that was my character defects, my pride, my self-centeredness, and uh, I was just so grateful that when we left, I never said a darn thing to my mother, you know. And, you know, I, I, I haven't, you know, in, been engaging in that kind of stuff. I've realized that the only thing that was, it's not that I could do a better job than him. I wanted to be doing the job. That's the only thing, you know. And so I was able to all of a sudden realize, and I, I began to have that experience that we may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. I had wonderful beliefs about a higher power, but I was a practical agnostic. I never experienced the power of of my higher power in my life. And after I did my fifth step, I began to see on numerous occasions when my character defects were ready to manifest themselves that all of a sudden I became aware of it. I was able to surrender it, look back afterwards and say, I didn't act the way I used to act. What a change. Must have been my higher power. So for that, and, you know, that broad highway they talk about walking hand-in-hand with the spirit of the universe, well, I, I know there's more of that to be revealed, and I just look forward to it now. And I, I see I see the world in a much different way. It, it's not me against everybody, but uh, now it's like I can see that um, I can be open to receive from everybody as well. Thanks. Hi, I'm Leon M. from uh, Cranford, New Jersey. I'd like to uh, read my recovery note that uh, I, uh, people have asked me to write, each of us, to write uh, uh, about our lives and all. And I tried not to write a drunkalog but to, to re- report my, uh, my successes, my, uh, my good th- things that happened to me. And it goes like this, Recovery Note 2008. My life before SA was a life of lust, itchy man- meaninglessness. I, had, I was divorced and my ex-wife passed away. My children were against me and uh, desirous of the inheritance that I, I had. I became more self-centered and unhappy. I confessed my life to a brother, a friend of mine, and he introduced me to a guy in SA. I could rationalize powerlessness and insanity. I was in SA for two years, insanity, sanityless, and yeah, I was in for two years and. Um, uh, grew worse and worse. 
in SA and I couldn't run, run 30 days daytime or dry time on a trip to Baltimore to see my son on a triathlon on uh, uh, little sleep, a lot of driving, hotel sex, and and no no sleep. Again, I was lost in the highways of Maryland. It was then I pleaded to God and put my life in his hands. He found me, or I found him, and he directed me home. And that's not just the, the physical home, but the spiritual home. As of May 14, 1993, my life grew better and better. I tur- turned it over and over to him. I made friends in SA. Life was rough, but I moved each year to a higher and higher plane. Service was a key with life full of functions, coffee man, leader, treasure, literature, greeter, secretary. I started a tape ministry with over 1,700 transactions and loaning out uh, cassettes at a dollar apiece. then my life turned into a joyous life in Rijo uh, Citizen Seniors Citizen Housing. Then I met a, a woman in in my life and married after about seven months. Uh, we have absorbed life with sharing and a close relationship. She is a, a com- close companion and works in essay matters and mailing and things like that. I continued in the intergroup and conference committee and forward thank you notes to over 150 different conference uh, volunteers. I love life and I'm willing to turn even more and more over. That's it. Good afternoon, Mark C. Sexaholic. I don't know what an old-timers meeting is because I don't feel like I'm old, but um, I was sitting here while people were sharing, realizing that five, I think it was five years ago, the last conference was here, and um, I was actually separated from my wife. I was living in my parents' house. Um, my wife was living in my house with my kids. Um, I would wake up every morning without seeing my children. Um, it was incredibly painful, and my wife... At that time, we were separated. Um, I remember speaking to her and saying, I'm going to the conference. Would you like to come too? And um, she agreed. She's in the program as well. <clears throat> but what was incredible is um, during that time when I was out of the house, it was all of you people that were keeping me alive because uh, the most important thing to me in life is my family and my family's health. And being able to see my children wake up in the morning and talk to them and um, interact with them, even if I'm yelling at them, um, it's still better than not being there. And um, being here today is just incredible because I don't, unfortunately, get to see everybody all the time anymore um, due to people moving and going to different meetings and uh, just seeing old friends. And I realize that uh, in my life now, at 44 years old, I have more close friends than I've ever had in my life. Um, I have more men close friends in SA than I do outside the program. Um, and I don't know if that's by, you know, uh, being in SA or that's just where God led me. But the people that I know now, um, I can literally share my heart with, my deepest, darkest secrets, um, tell them anything and they'll accept me for who I am. And the rest of the world doesn't really work that way. So I thank you for people for being here. I'm really glad to be here. I am now, uh, have been living in my house for the past four years. Um, I wake up next to my wife every morning. She tells me she loves me. She gives me a kiss goodbye. I get a, a kiss hello. I'm greeted at the door. Um, I'm accepted for who I am in my family, with my children. And thanks for letting me share. Well, I'm Bill, Grateful Recovering Sexaholic. I listened to Harvey share there, and I realized that uh, I've got 11-plus years of sobriety. And uh, it's only been for 
the fact that I've been able to work with my spouse around my triggers and set boundaries. You know, I drive myself crazy. I drive my wife crazy. But I have to set boundaries. I can't, I have, where I sit in a restaurant, when I go into a bar, uh, who I talk to, uh, what I watch on television. And, you know, I've got, I thought the list in recovery would get shorter. But as I've gone further into recovery, the list has got longer. And, you know, I used to believe I could go to a movie, watch a movie. Well, I could go to the movie and shut my eyes and my wife would then squeeze my arm and say, well, the bad scene's gone. But as long as I could hear my head telling me and imagining what was going on. So I realized that I was kidding myself going to movies. So I guess for me, the only reason I've got sobriety is that I've got a list of due diligent things that I have to do. And if I don't do them, I'll go back to where I was and I don't want that. So anyway, I just know that I've got to work these things the rest of my life. And uh, and the list is going to get longer, not shorter. So I just wanted to share that. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks. I'm Bob, most definitely sexaholic uh, from Chicago. Very deeply grateful to be here, grateful to have the chance at recovery. Uh, I just wanted to say briefly, you know, I ought to be an old-timer in terms of recovery, but I've, I've failed and failed again, and my failure, I see, is in my self-will and not uh, securing a sponsor and working with a sponsor. And uh, it's also not following these principles in all my others, my life, uh, I learned some some years ago that uh, the definition of lust is uh, desiring something that my higher power does not have for me in my life at this present moment, and um, that's been very true for my life. Uh, Things such as what what some of it might be virtues, like buying uh, academic books, you know, has has been a vice for me. Uh, spending addiction, I'd had to declare bankruptcy, but I'm most of all spiritually bankrupt. I've missed the last two conventions because I've in a very bad state, but I'm here. I, I don't want to leave this convention without having a sponsor uh, within Chicago, at least the Chicago area. Uh, fewer and fewer people are, are willing to consider me as a sponsee there. That's a real problem, but I, I want to put myself here. I want this recovery. I must have a sponsor, and if I can't have one in my uh, hometown, I need someone uh, from some other city. Um, I need this recovery, and I cannot live without it. Thank you. Hi, America. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, old timer. With only two years of recovery, I've certainly got uh, enough pain, enough uh, old time pain. Uh, the reason I came here, I told myself actually I would sit in a seat, shut my mouth, and listen and enjoy uh, and learn. Um, and I realized, I realized that I needed to ask this question. Um, or to put this out there, and I'm going to put it out there maybe at another couple meetings. Um, I was blessed with uh, anorexia, sexual anorexia, along with my sex addiction. It's a very interesting double life to lead. The problem is um, I'm, and I can say happily, married. And uh, it's the anorexia that's causing me tremendous pain. Um, And I am looking for an old timer. I'm looking for someone who has made it through that part of being a sexaholic and has that intimate sexual relationship with their wife because I've been learning very much that it's very important to them. I could probably go the rest of my life being a monk, but that's me escaping, running away. It's another, it's another avoidance tactic. And so that means there's something wrong and there's something I need to address. Uh, I just don't know what to do about it. And, uh, Patrick Carnes wrote a book about it, but 
it, it's not very helpful. It, uh, um, he's done a lot of good, uh, good work, though, not to put that down. So um, thank you for your time, and I certainly look forward to hearing what everybody else has to say. My name's Nicholas. I'm a sexaholic from England. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not really an old timer. I've, I've been in. Uh, I've been sober for twelve and a half years now, which seems like a long time to me. Um, and uh, I'm just so, really so grateful for that gift. And uh, I'm also really pleased to be in, in, the, in, in the room with a fellow sexaholic from England who was at probably the first convention I ever went to, uh, which would be about 12 years ago, I guess. And um, just the memories of uh, the fellowship in the early days, how it was. Um, I remember the first time I was shown a white book. I was actually in another S fellowship at the time, and somebody showed me this S white this has this uh, white book and, and I read about the sobriety definition I thought that's far too extreme you know I mean it's just they must be insane these people you know <laughs> and <clears throat> little did I know that in the years to come I was going to have to change my bottom lines to no sex outside marriage and you know a few a few months after that I met you know I came to my first essay meeting and I've been very happily uh, you know a, a member of the fellowship since then and uh, the fellowship in England hasn't really got very much bigger in that time, but the number of years of sobriety has increased, and um, and there's really good things happening. And I, I'm, I, I, you know, I predict that uh, 2008 is going to be a really good year for the fellowship. Um, we do have conventions over there, and we'd be really pleased to see any of you who might like to make the journey. Uh, hopefully, one day we'll have an international convention there as well. And uh, just to, to to reflect on what other people have said about this, uh, you know. Um, how the, the disease progresses inside me even though I'm in recovery and there are things I've had to, I've had to put on my, um, my list. I, I still do watch films but only uh, Certificate 12 and below. Um, so I'm pretty expert on Disney's and things like that. But um, the, uh, the truth is that I just have this phenomenal facility for, for taking in images. So... Um, I recently went and looked at Facebook for the first time, um, and I realized it's got to be the last time, because I just somehow I just zoom in on those photographs, and even even though you know they're not explicit photographs, I'm looking for one that is. Yeah, you know, it's I, you know it's nothing. So, but the way I've dealt with this, and what I found helpful, is to try and stop sort of thinking about my sobriety in negative terms, and in the, in its yeah, I'm retreating from the flamethrower in the corner of the room. Now, I'm backing away from lust, right? But actually, there's something that I'm moving towards. That's you know, my higher power. And a- another deeply unfashionable word called chastity. What is this thing, chastity? What does it mean to live a chaste life? And is it actually a good thing to be? And I- I'm-, I'm beginning to understand, yes, there's something else here. There's a virtue that I can ask for in my life, that I can pursue... So instead of just not doing lust, which leaves a kind of vacuum, I can try and understand what it means to live a chaste life. Whether I'm married or single, that still has relevance. What does that mean? You know, and how, can I, can I unpack that and examine it a bit and see whether God's got some good stuff for me in that direction? Thanks. I'm Chuck. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Um, I've been in SA for 10 years, have just over nine years of sobriety. And I don't feel like an old timer because I've only been in for 10 years. And you know, by the grace of God, I've got nine years of sobriety, not by mine. But uh, I want to talk about, I don't know what I want to talk about, but I want to talk about the solution. You know, what's kept me sober for those nine years, what's kept me keeping, kept me coming back for nine years, ten years, excuse me. Um, surrender. Surrendering all of my character defects and my acting out behaviors, not just some of them. That's why the first year I couldn't stay sober. You know, I thought I could control and handle these over here, had to get rid of those bad ones. That was wrong. That was a lie I was believing. 
uh, I had to surrender it all. Um, getting a sponsor and surrendering to the sponsor and to the program without having to understand it. Because I came into recovery believing if I can understand it, I can fix it. That was another lie I believed. Well, you know, I understand about what recovery is now, and I know the only way to fix it is to continue to work the program one day at a time for the rest of my life. And that's okay with me. I used to have a resentment against that. You know, what I have to do, how long is it going to take? My first meeting, that's what I was thinking. Well, it's going to take a lifetime. And that's okay. You know, from birth to death, i got to do something. And I might as well be involved in recovery. Um, sponsoring. Sponsoring people. That kept me sober. You know, that every time I sponsor somebody, I rework the steps through them. I get a refresher course. You know, every day, every week, you know, depending on how often they call. Um, I rework the steps. Uh, which is really confusing because at one point I had eight sponsees and I didn't know which step I was working. Um, but that'll keep you sober. It reminds me of where I came from and where I am now today and where I don't want to go back to, but I want to continue on the road of recovery. Um, service, that should be a four-letter word. I do not like service. My sponsor told, tells me, do what you don't want to do. And I don't particularly want to be up here, except that I enjoy sharing my experience, strength, and hope. But I don't really like speaking. Um, so that's why I'm up here. Um, I've done a lot of service opportunities over the last probably about five years um, didn't do too much the first first five years uh, everything from chairing marathon days chairing dinners um, attending international conventions this is the seventh one in a row that I've attended and nine years ago I attended my first one uh, up in Cleveland in July of 99 I believe it was um, you know, doing service really keeps me out of myself, which is a bad place to be alone, um, and into helping others. And I get back what I give. You know, it says that in the reading. And the more I give, the more I get back. Um, you know, one thing that's happened to me that, that several times that really makes me appreciative of recovery is when I share something that somebody in recovery has shared with me, I share that with somebody else, and then they share it with somebody else, and I hear that, not from the person I shared it with, but from the next person down the line. You know, that just, you know, it's working. The message is being carried. You know, that is, that just, you know, gives me goosebumps. It just makes me feel really good that the program is working. Um... You know, another thing that, that I'm, I'm starting to work on now is, cause I've got a, I'm like the list maker. There's probably a program for that too. Um, <laughs> you know, made a list of slogans, made a list of triggers, made a list of boundaries, uh, when I first came in. Uh, and that's one of the things I have 14 lists that I start off when I sponsor somebody, you know, do a list a day and call me and read it to me. You know, some of these lists you'll add to, you know, some of them you'll take away from. Some of them will stay the same. Uh, one of the lists uh, it's already been talked about a little bit is a list of boundaries. You know, that's a list that, that will continue to grow. Some of the boundaries that I set five or six or seven, eight years ago, um, I don't even look at them as boundaries anymore. You know, certain places I can't go. Um, you know, today, with accountability and being in a good space, I can do those things, you know, but not by myself. You know, I may need to call my sponsor or accountability partner and say, I'm going, you know, to the mall. I need to get one thing. I'll call you when I get out. Um, or in between if I need to. Um, you know, so that's a good thing. But, you know, like was shared, that list may continue to get longer and longer. What I'm working on now is 
um, and you know, a counselor friend of mine is working on it with me, is feelings. Because I'm so intellectual. Like I said before, if I can understand it, I can fix it. Well, stop thinking about it and feel. So if I want to go somewhere or do something, if it doesn't feel right, you know, if I'm questioning it, you know, is this okay? Well, the answer needs to be no. If I don't feel right about it, if I'm questioning it, for me, it needs to be no. Because the next step for me is I'm going to try and minimize it, justify it, or rationalize it. So I can go ahead and do it anyway. And it's not going to work. You know, so I'm, like I said, I don't feel like an old-timer, but I'm, I'm grateful for the program. Uh, it saved my life, and I continue to work it one day at a time. Thanks. Uh, hello, my name is Dennis, and I'm recovering a sexaholic. Hi, um, when I asked uh, Joan what we were going to be talking about in the old timers, she said, "I don't know, just come in and we'll talk, we'll share." But old timers reminds me of uh, first time. And it really is kind of a theme that I have this uh, weekend. The first time I came into the uh, program, and specifically how I got here, I've been an active member of AA for a lot of my adult life. I was waiting for a train out of Penn Station in Manhattan one night during the the week. I commuted back and forth between Jersey and the city uh, every day, and I went and stopped into my local church because I knew they held AA meetings there and I had time to to kill, I said, well, I might as well go to an AA meeting. I looked at the message board, and I saw that there was an AA meeting to take place about that time, but I also saw a little note that said an SA meeting. And I said, what is SA? Well, I discovered it was Sexaholics Anonymous. And I was in the throes of my sexual addiction at the time, and just hearing that there was a meeting where people were going to get together and talk about sex gave me a hit. And that's what brought me into the... uh, into the room. <laughs> and, you know, so here, here's this guy in his three pizzas with his attache case going home to a wife and six children, and I was right into my double life. I was going into this room. Well, I went in, and obviously it was a room, and it was a typical uh, essay meeting, and they were talking about all the stuff that we talk about in these rooms, and I knew immediately that I was uh, I was at home. I said, oh, my God, they're talking about this stuff. And leaving, the guy said to me, well, you got to get a meeting list. And I thought, well, this is only for kooks in New York City. They don't have anything like this in New Jersey. <laughs> then, I, then I discovered within 20 minutes of my house there were several meetings that were taking place every week in Lincroft, New Jersey, and Metuchen, New Jersey. So I got myself into the program. And one of the things that... Not one of the things, probably the basic thing that SA has helped me with is the fellowship part of the program in allowing me, over time, didn't come very, very easily, of telling you who I really am. I mean, in AA, I was sober from alcohol, but I was leading a double life. I mean, I was actively engaged in my, in my sex addiction. And I didn't tell anybody about that, and nobody knew about that. And it was in all of the dark, the dark corners that one can find to have, uh, you know, craziness take place. And until I found essay, I didn't even know that people talked about this stuff, and that somebody would identify with what I might be saying, and I identified with what they were saying. So what what it has done for me over over time, and it's been and it's been a struggle. It's gradually allowed me to accept myself for who I am, that I'm not the total dirtbag that I was convinced, and I was the only one in the world that did this kind of stuff. Uh, nobody else did it until I discovered that the rooms and other, other folks do it. So acceptance for who I really am and who I really am does not make me a bad, uh, does not make me a bad person is probably the, key element that I've been getting out of, uh, I've gotten out of essay uh, over the years, the, the fellowship part. Uh, not only the fellowship in terms of acceptance of myself, but the, the fellowship has given me a greater sense of my God. I'm 
you know, practiced my religion all my life, but it was always praying to the altar or praying to the statue or praying to the cross. What in the in the, in the fellowship when you get you know over a cup of coffee in a diner or at the end of a meeting or during during a meeting or talking with your sponsor, you know it uh, skin goes on God and God is speaking to me through somebody else in the uh, in, in the program and I can really tell you who I am. I can remove all of the masks that I have, whereas in the other fellowship and it's probably my hang-up, but we don't talk about in AA sex. Unless, you know, quietly or somebody, it's just not something that's, that's talked about. So that mask always remained. Coming into SA, I was able to take off that mask. And that gave me a, kind of a new sense of freedom that I never had before. So, it's good to be here for the weekend and good to be able to talk so early in the convention. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm Adrian. I'm a sexaholic. And I was just reflecting back, because uh, on the drive up here from uh, northern Ontario or down here, whatever direction, uh, I was sharing with some of the, the couple members in the car about going to meetings, I, I think it was uh, about 12, 13 years ago, and getting a start. And of those handful of members that connected at that time. There was about uh, four or five of us. Uh, all of those members are sober today. And yet, and we didn't have continuous sobriety. Some were in and out, but we're all sober today. And that's a miracle. That's really a miracle. But then I've, like I've participated in 12-step calls. I don't know how many... Uh, uh, hundreds, anyways, over a hundred or more, uh, maybe 150 or something in over those years, probably a lot more than that. And for me, such a few people have, you know, stuck around the program and, um, uh, in our area. And, it's, and I was, it was like, why? You know, I was asking myself why. And one thing was early when we got started, if we wanted a meeting, we had to go, we had to create it, we had to reach out, we had to do 12-step calls. And I think a lot of times um, that those, like I know myself, a little bit of a, a little bit of a sobriety hog, and don't give newcomers and members enough of that chance to really. Uh, do it for themselves or get active enough or to step forward or put the ball there for them. Uh, I, I'm just trying to figure out why that handful of people that just come together, uh, you know, north of Toronto uh, that number of years ago, and we all have, uh, you know, uh, a good degree of sobriety today, and um, you know. Anyways, I I just wanted to put that out there because I think there's there's something there's something to it. It's not it's not by chance, it's not by accident. Uh, anyways, anyway, thank you for my sobriety. I just want to thank everyone who came to share because uh, the sharing was really uh, very beneficial, I'm sure. And it was gut level and it was honest, brutally honest. And so thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm sure that these are seeds that are planted and these seeds will be growing. And um, um, I, I was inspired myself. And I, I really thank you, all of you who have shared. Um, just for the record, I didn't say my sobriety 
date. But however, I came into the program sober. However, I was desperately in need of recovery because I thought I was losing my mind. However, little by little, God led me to a place of peace and serenity, and I am absolutely grateful for that. So um, I would like to thank all the speakers and participants for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Let me summarize a few of the recovery ideas I have heard, and I just did that. Remember, this is an anonymous program. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside. Please keep any names, addresses, or phone numbers you learn about an essay to yourself, and what we say here, let it stay here. After a moment of silence for the sick and suffering inside and outside these rooms, let us close with a third-step prayer. We're not going to hold hands. We're just going to perhaps stand, and we'll say the third-step prayer standing, okay? God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. So work it, you're worth it. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.